2: Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this episode I chat to two Scottish chefs, Derek Johnson and Mark Donald, who have recently made some career changes. The last year and a half of lockdowns and restrictions have forced the hospitality industry to diversify and change in ways that we could never have foreseen from pivoting to takeaways and opening under distancing, we're hopefully on the long road to getting back to some kind of normality. One sure sign of this is new restaurants opening and appointments of new staff. I spoke to chefs Derek Johnson and Mark Donald about their new ventures. Derek, who was the first winner of MasterChef The Professionals, moved from his role at Borthwick Castle, an exclusive-use venue near Gorebridge, to take over and develop three restaurants within the Russex Hotel in St Andrews. Further north, Mark Donald left his role as head chef of the Michelin-starred number 1 restaurant at the Balmoral in Edinburgh to take on an executive head chef role at the soon-to-open La Lake restaurant at the Glenturrent Distillery. Mark and Derek talk about their new roles, what diners can expect, how they got into cooking and their career achievements to date. Today I'm joined by Chef Derek Johnson, who's recently taken up a new role as Executive Chef within the Russell Hotel in St Andrews. Hi Derek, how are you?
1: I'm very well, Rosalind. How are you?
2: I'm fine, thank you. Back on Zoom. Um, I've been out and about recently, which has been nice. It's good to see you virtually. So before we talk more about your new role, um, I'd just like to go back to the start. Were you always into food and cooking?
1: As, for as long as I can remember Rosalind, I've always wanted to be a chef. I used to love the, the old cookery programmes like Ready Steady Cook and uh, the old-fashioned Lloyd Grossman Chef. Yeah, so I always had this, this passion to cook. Uh, and when I was leaving school, it just seemed, seemed like a really natural thing to do is pursue a career in hospitality and cooking. So Yeah, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do it. And I love it as much now as I did when I was 16 years old.
2: Was there any anyone in your family or um, someone that you grew up with that influenced how much you enjoy cooking, or is it just always something you were into personally?
1: I think when I when I was growing up, um, the food we ate at home was really humble and nothing was really fancy. You know, mum was a good cook, and Gran was a really good cook, but there was nobody in the in the uh, the industry and nobody I could say I look at and say I want to be a chef because they were a chef. And I think actually some of the food that my mum and my gran used to make although it was really good cooking and it wasn't really to my taste, like tripe and liver and stuff. So I think from an early on, I knew I had to learn how to cook because my food was going to be better than theirs. So yeah, <laughs> I think that's what it was. So.
2: Um, and so you, you knew you went, this is what you wanted to do and, and you went off to college. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I left school uh, just before my 16th birthday and I went to Glasgow, uh, food tech at the time. And uh, I enrolled in a general catering course and I just absolutely fell in love with everything about food and the techniques and simple things like chopping cucumbers. And that just seemed really interesting. And just being around the produce was really inspiring. So I spent three years at the college and I was working part time in different little hotels and stuff around Scotland. And uh, yeah, that was really that was the base of the, the career. That's where it all kicked off. Um,
2: and
1: are you from Glasgow or outside Glasgow? I was brought up in Erskine, which is about uh, 16, 17 miles outside of Glasgow, just near the Glasgow airport. Um, so it was a nice little town. Uh, I lived there since I was two. And uh, yeah, I just commuted into Glasgow quite a lot into the city, which I loved. Uh, I miss Glasgow a lot, but um, yeah, I just commuted in daily in the bus and I went to college and that was it.
2: And you must have seen like over the course of your career, the food and drink scene in Scotland's changed quite a bit. I mean, Glasgow is its own thing now has a Michelin star and I'll come back and ask you a bit more about that. But, you know, how have you seen people enjoying food and, and, you know, the scene changing in terms of like the interest in, you know, dining and fine dining?
1: I think the, the, the dining scene in Scotland and Glasgow over the last 15 years has improved dramatically. And it wasn't that we ever had bad cooks in Glasgow because we've always had really good chefs in Glasgow and we've had Michelin stars in the past there. But I think actually the, the clientele now are demanding it. They want it. They, they realise that dining out is such a great sociable experience. And um, I think um, Glasgow is a city that has really quirky and cool venues and really cool restaurant scene. Um and I think now people are standing up and guides are standing up and saying, actually, they deserve the recognition that they, they, they deserve, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think it's improved so much. And a lot of chefs have went away and learned their craft and their skills. And now they've come back and they're set up with new ideas from their travels. And uh, we've always had amazing produce uh, in Scotland, but now we seem to know what we're doing with it and we're really driving it forward. So I think, I think um, cooking and hospitality in Scotland although it's a difficult time in the world, the skills are there, the produce is there and we're in a good place to kick on.
2: Yeah. Um, and so to kind of go back to, um, you talked about at your start of your career, um, you won a Masterchef the Professionals in 2008, which was the first one, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. It was in 2008. It was a budget pilot uh, programme. It was the first one that was ever done and nobody knew if it was going to be a success. or not I was encouraged to to apply for that competition for, through my executive chef at the time. He seen something in me, and at the time I was such a kind of shy, underconfident young guy. And he said, "This this could really do a world of good for your confidence." And lo and behold, I went on and won it at 24, which was just an amazing experience.
2: Which yeah, I mean, it's it's funny to think that um, it was a pilot and no one had really heard of it. Cause it's so massive now.
1: Yeah, that that really kick started I think when um, after I had won MasterChef, I moved to London quite quickly after that, which was a whole new experience as well. But I was getting stopped in the street, and people were chapping windows and waving at me, and I'm like, "What's going on?" But it wasn't until after that I realised that it was like six and a half million people who had watched that final, and I think the I think MasterChef and the producers realised that they had they had something really special there, and it went on to become such an amazing program amazing competition which is now heavily recognized within the industry is probably one of the toughest challenges that you can do in your professional career um, and it's gone on for what 13 years so it's been very very well received and i'm so proud that i was the first ever winner uh, i would never have believed it if you told me but yeah that's that's a little bit of history which i'll look back and say yeah i'm glad i did that uh, but it could have easily not have happened because i was so nervous
2: yeah, I think, did you just kind of, you know, just feel the fear and do it anyway? You just think, I'm just going to do it. And then the filming, I'm assuming, does it happen all in one week? Or, you know, does it happen quite in a condensed space of time so you maybe get used to it?
1: Yeah, it was It was definitely a challenge, Rosalind. Um, I had no idea what I was getting myself involved with, to be honest. If I did, I probably would never have done it. But I think um, what really helped me was the confidence about the senior people around, around about me saying, you can do this, Derek. We're going to support you. We're going to give you every opportunity. So I was working for McDonald's hotels at the time. They were so supportive. They paid for my flight. They helped me with my travel. And my executive chef was driving me on. He was saying to me, we'll give you the days off that you need. So to kind of understand the filming process, it was a seven-week process, uh, two days in London each week. So I was traveling there on my days off. I was filming for 13 hours and traveling back. uh, And then I was going back into a 60-hour week at work. So seven weeks, no days off, and I kept on saying to myself, "Next week I'll get put out. Next week I'll get put out, and I'll, I'll just go back to normal." And lo and behold, next week I wasn't getting put out, and I was going from the quarterfinals to the semifinals to the finals. And seven weeks later, I was almost dead. You know, I was just like so tired, and you could see that through the whole competition. Where every chef was just looking more tired and more tired and more tired, and that was a reason because we're professional chefs. We were working sixty-hour weeks, flying in from various parts of the UK filming a 13, 14 hour day and then flying home. So again, you don't see that on the TV but it's an amazing experience um, and to come out as like the winner, it was just like unbelievable.
2: Yeah, that's, yeah it's, it's funny isn't it? You don't, don't think many people would realise you were working at the same time so it's, it just shows you what you can do if you really kind of Push yourself and you're 24 when you're 24.
1: Yeah, I, was, I was 24 and I was saying to my sous chefs, I'm not going, I'm not going. And they're saying, Come on, Derek, don't be ridiculous. You're going to be able to do this. I'm like, oh, I'm so nervous. I've never been to London. This whole thing is just so overwhelming. And you need somebody just to say to you, well, Just calm down, you know, just go and cook, enjoy it, don't put any pressure on yourself, go and see it for what it is, do your best and come back. And you've had an experience. And that's the way I went. I went there for an experience. I thought I would probably get put out in the first round of the second round. But you know, when you put hundred and fifty percent into something, you never know what you can achieve. And yeah. that's just a that's a testament of hard work and determination, nothing else.
2: and from that you went to um you see you moved to London and you worked um under Michelle Rue Jr. and Albert Rue as well. Um what was what was that like and what kind of what were the main lessons you took away from working with them?
1: Um, yeah, I was so fortunate to have met Chef Michel uh, through the filming process. And after we won, I won the competition in April time, but I had a six months um, editing period. So I had to go back to my, my normal job, my normal life and just kid on like nothing had happened. No press release, nothing. So it wasn't until September and I was on the last, I was one of the last uh groups of people to cook. So obviously I was on the last week of the show as well. So it was like four weeks into the programme before anybody would have seen me cook. So come into September, September, um, I had won the competition and had I had already known that I was going to London. There was talk of me moving to America to work at the, the French Laundry, which would have been, in hindsight, would have been such a fantastic move. But I just felt at that time in my career, moving to a three-star Michelin, moving abroad, it was just a, a wee bit overwhelming for me. Uh, so Michelle has suggested I come to London for a year and take on a shift party role at Le Gavroche um, and it really went from there I went there I worked, I've i never worked so hard in my life everything I learnt there has enabled me to you know take on these high profile roles
2: You've mentioned like a lot of hard work a lot of long hours and the hospitality industry just now has um, been through a hard time with the pandemic um, and staff shortages potentially to do with Brexit and um, not to mention recent bullying claims. So what advice would you give someone looking to get into the industry who might be slightly put off by these types of things? Because you sound like you've had a lot of good encouragement and a lot of good experience from people that you've worked with.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I never like to comment in other kitchens or environments that I don't know anything about or I haven't worked in. So I'll just kind of focus on the environment that I've worked in and what, what I think is acceptable within the industry. And what I would say is it's okay to work hard uh, and get people to work hard. That that's a given. That's that's natural. But what we do need to do is nurture people, uh, look after these young people in the industry. Um, for my time with the Rue family, that is something that was just part of the the ethos, you know. You people work hard for you, but you're always getting rewarded, you're always getting encouraged, you're always getting an arm put around you when you need it. You might get a little kind of nudge if you don't, but there was never, there's never a place for bullying, harassment. It doesn't matter how stressful the uh, the environment is. We can't treat people like that. It's not acceptable. And I think now uh, doing things like this podcast, I would l- really like to encourage young people into the industry. We really need them. It's crying out for more, more young people, enthusiastic people. It's such a wonderful industry and we can give people such a great opportunity to travel and learn new skills. But we always seem to be getting kind of brought back or dragged back with all these allegations and it's not acceptable. And I think we all need to take a look at ourselves and how we can conduct ourselves and how we treat people because it's not 1980 or 1990 anymore. 2021, we should be treating people with respect and we should be really building the industry up again after such a horrible 16, 18 months. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be put off by coming in the industry because there's a lot of change. There's a lot of good people in it. There's a lot of people wanting want to train and develop. And the bad side, it's always going to get publicity, especially when you're high profile. So I would encourage people still to come in. Uh, there, there's good people out there who want to look after people and get them to head chef level, sous chef level and give them the skills.
2: Yeah, that's uh, good advice. And, and you're right. I mean, it's not, you know, it's a lot of focusing on the bad sometimes. But you know, there's there's been people throughout this throughout you know years and years. You know, for example, Andrew Fairley, or you know yourself, and you know other chefs like you know Billy, um, at the cellar has just put in for a four day. He's going to work from a four day working week. I think is along with the bad. There's a lot of good, and I think it's good to kind of look at both sides before you know making anyone make a decision.
1: Absolutely. I think the, the chefs that you have just mentioned, they're uh, high profile high profile chefs who recognize the industry needs to change and they're willing to change in the good of their business and for other people's lives. We need to give young people worth like balance. And yeah, I think the industry is changing a lot. People are recognizing that, you know, Sat Baines has done it, two Michelin stars, he's went to a four day week to an expense to his business. People are sitting up and saying, OK, our people are important. We need to look after them. And what can we do? Exactly what we are going to do at um, RussAx as well. We're going to change to a five-day week. We're going to give people set days off. In eighteen, we're going to close for lunch. We're going to make sure that they're looked after. Make sure that they get their food, they they get their breaks, they get their uniform. And you know, we want people to feel like when they're coming to work, they're proud to work in these establishments. They shouldn't dread coming to work or feel overly exhausted. But when they walk back in the door the next day,
2: yeah which you mentioned Russox there so you've moved from Worthwick Castle where um, you were head chef there um, to Russox just uh, earlier this year so what was it that attracted you to your new role?
1: I think when I um, when I was approached by Chris Miller a founder of White Rabbit Projects uh, and he, within about five minutes of talking about the project I knew I knew my heart started to get you know you get that that, that feeling in your belly that yeah this role could be for me I think the, the iconic building, which has just had a massive refurbishment, was um, a huge thing. You know, it's an iconic location. Next year, we celebrate 150 year uh, of the, the, the golf, the, the Open Championship, which was huge. And I think just the ideas and the views of White Rabbit Projects with the three different concepts, it seemed natural to me. It seemed like something that I could really add value to. And I always had in the back of my mind that I was going to take on a huge project at one point in my career. And after the pandemic or throughout the pandemic, I was sitting at home and I'm thinking the next move I make is going to be a big one. And it's going to be a real purpose, a real purpose of me being there. And I think with having the the one under bar, the bridge and then 18, it gives me an opportunity to use everything I've learned in my career. And three different restaurants with three different styles and three different kind of. Uh, outlooks of what we want to achieve there so it just seemed natural to me and after the pandemic I was ready for a big job so here I am you know um uh, we, we started last week we've opened the doors yeah it's great it's going to be a huge challenge.
2: And is it is it the fact that you're running three different restaurants is that the main difference between what you were doing at Boswick Castle which is an exclusive use venue I mean I'm assuming with that maybe because it was exclusive use, like how much free reign did you have over what it was you were cooking in menus versus what you're doing just now?
1: Yeah, at Bothwick Castle, I went there uh, because it was going to be very exclusive. As you said, it was high end. We were getting uh, very kind of affluent uh, clientele from all over the world who would give me an opportunity to use the best of Scottish ingredients. You know, it wasn't like your, your normal hotel or restaurant when we had to look at budgets. My main focus at Borthwick Castle was cooking and wowing people and giving them an experience that they'll never forget. And I did that successfully for four years and we opened it up and it was great. But when Chris came looking and saying, Derek, you're the man, we want you, we want your name above 18, I could not resist that. You know, I'm thinking to myself, I've always wanted to get accolades within my own rights. I've worked in one Michelin star, two Michelin star and three Michelin star restaurants. I've never actually even achieved a rosette or I haven't achieved awards like that because in other properties I worked in, like at Grey Walls, we, we were in really and Chateau, we had five stars, but we didn't see it, it as a necessity for a business. So now I'm thinking, you know what, I'm 38 years old, I'm probably in my prime uh, and I want to achieve stuff. I want to put this, this hotel on the map for gastronomy. I want people to come here and love it and I feel like with the three outlets, I can show everything that I've learned throughout my career and make people happy at different kind of price points. So we've got the pub, we've got the all day dining, and then we're going to have this most amazing destinational restaurant in the fourth floor. So it just, it just seems natural to me to be here. And it's a massive challenge to build the team, nurture the talent, uh, get involved with the the, the schools and the colleges and yeah, really take everything I've learned and try and put it into, uh, you know, put it into place here to be a success.
2: I mean, you've mentioned awards and stuff there. Do you, when you are cooking and developing menus, is that ever, is that in kind of the back of your mind or is it all about the sort of... Uh,
1: you know, no, I, I don't I don't get up in the morning and think I'll, I want to gain an award. I get up in the morning and say, I want to get the best out of my team, get the best out of myself. I want to buy the best produce that we can and source things locally. And I think if we get all these things right, then awards will come. I'm very ambitious. I want awards. I want my guys to come into work and say, Jesus, we've just received this or we've just been awarded that. I want my young sous chef to go to London and pick up a nice plate. It's not so important for me, the accolade. It's maybe more the process that we have to go through and the things that we have to put in place to get those accolades. And I think that's just about inspiring to be better every single day and just to be consistent. And I think these things push you to that. All our awards are about progression and getting better. So I think that's the angle but it's that process leading up which really excites me and getting better every day and challenging the the young guys in the kitchen and uh, just see where we are at the end of the first year, the end of the second year and what we've been awarded and yeah, seeing the business grow and become better.
2: Um, And so you said you're just slowly opening up just now. So what can diners expect from the food and the menus at the Russox at the different places, different restaurants, sorry?
1: Yeah, I think it's the same ethos throughout the, the whole operation. So we have the one under bar in the the, the, uh, the basement. Uh, that's going to be very traditional. It's going to be a, a pub, you know, it's, there's no getting away from it. We want it to be the hub of the community. We want live bands in there and we want rustic hearty dishes, you know, real British classics using Scottish produce. So things like hearty shepherd's pie, great fish and chips, the most amazing steak with Bernese sauce, all that kind of stuff. You're, you're real classics for pubs marmalade, steamed puddings, unpretentious, just really nice. And then we've got the the bridge, which is named after the Shvilkin Bridge on the 17th hole of the old course. And that's more kind of laid back. that's more light, uh, uh, vegetable-focused, lovely tomatoes with burrata, has a little Mediterranean theme running through it. Uh, We'll be doing our uh, hand-rolled Neapolitan-style pizzas in there with Scottish ingredients. So that's the all-day dining, uh, you know, um, you can pop in there for a bowl of pasta, handmade pasta, or, or you can have a three-course meal. Uh, and then 18, which is about to launch in uh, early August, is on the fourth floor of the new building. It's got a glass uh, windows, so you have a panoramic view of all over St Andrews. And we'll be using all the best of Scotland. So anything that's uh, in season and is on our doorstep will be on the menus up there. So the greatest lobsters, scallops, langoustine, uh, the best grass-fed beef from the Black Isle, and then just delicious berries, from, you know, around uh, the local area. So super sustainable, super super local and seasonal, and, uh, yeah, just cooked to perfection, really. We've got a um, dry-aging chamber up there. We have a ribata grill cooked o- uh, over open flames. So there's going to be a lot going on up there, and it's going to be a real cool restaurant to, to visit, and I'm really excited about it. Yeah,
2: sounds really good. I need to to come and visit at some point. Yeah,
1: I need to visit. Yeah.
2: So just finally, the last part of the podcast is just a quick fire round. It's five questions to do with food. So if you just tell me the first thing that comes into your head, that's okay.
1: Okay. Yeah, sure.
2: Whenever I'm hungry, I think of... Cheese and toast. Comfort food for me is... Eating chips. My favourite childhood dessert is...
1: Sticky toffee pudding.
2: My food heaven is... Lobster. And my food hell is... Tripe yeah that's good <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> you probably had too it much of that sense. when you were younger
1: yeah just uh, there's something that I've tasted tripe right from my grand, my mom, and even Michelle Rue Jr and none of them have convinced me that it's a nice thing to eat so yeah
2: <laughs> uh, well thank you very much for your time and um, yeah good luck with everything and like I say I'll, I'm, I'm from Fife so I'll need to come back And no, I'm not from St Andrews I should say but I should come back to Fife and come and visit you guys and see what's
1: going on thank you for talking to me and yeah we would love to see you at rusex sometime soon thank you so much
2: okay,
1: thank you
2: very much take care bye thanks. Bye. i'm now joined by mark donald the executive head chef at the leek restaurant at Glen Turret. hi mark how are you
0: i'm good thanks rosalind how are you
2: i'm fine thank you i've just had a amazing lunch cooked by you um so You've come from the Balmoral to uh, Glen Turret. Can you just sort of tell us what was the appeal of coming here from like, you know, a busy, well-known city centre restaurant?
0: Um, I had never really planned to leave my previous job at the Balmoral, but lockdown hit and I was approached by someone, um, John Laurie, the director of the Glen Turret, and... Yeah, asked me to come up and have a look and I fell in love with the place. Um, I've always wanted to be out of the city. Eventually, I'm from the country originally um, and I've worked in countless big cities. Um, and as fun and exciting as they are, it's, yeah, I've always wanted to just get back, back into the sticks a bit.
2: So have you moved from Edinburgh to here?
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, I moved up to St. Philan's near Loch Earnhead. Sheep and goats in my back garden.
2: <laughs> and stuff you can forage, which is what we ate today.
0: Uh yeah. Um wild strawberries, wild garlic, sweet Sicily, yeah, a big list. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna list them all. Um but yeah, it's it's a bit of a dream here.
2: And so was like cooking always part of something you wanted to do? Like w- at what point did you think that I wanted to be a chef?
0: Yeah, I mean I I've always liked food. Not uh in that sort of romantic way you, you do that a lot of chefs speak about when, you know, they're making fairy cakes with their gran. Um it was more I just liked eat, eating well. And I got a job washing dishes um for booze money when I was sixteen. And uh, the chefs would go out the back and smoke. Um and I would call them in when I check came on and then I just stopped calling them in and started cooking. And that's that's how I got into it. I um I got into I got into several unis and I got I had an audition for the R S A M D in Glasgow, the acting school, and yeah, I just I just dingied it all to be honest and uh I just kept cooking and never looked back.
2: And you said you're from the countryside, so where where are you from?
0: I'm from a wee village called Torrance. Kind of countryside. It's near it's near some some other suburbs, but I mean there's far, it's a farming village, so it's nice and big garden and um yeah, it's always nice to go home there as well.
2: Yeah. Um, and what is your kind of earliest food memory? Like, do you have a memory of being a child and that was one thing that kind of stuck in your mind as something you really enjoyed or...?
0: Uh, yeah, eating Zoom lollies with my granddad on Helensborough Beach. Um, yeah, I just remember the colours, the colour of the Zoom lolly and it was my favourite when I was a kid after that.
2: And so obviously your previous show, you the restaurant had a Michelin Star um, and I've already asked this, um, today but are you guys is it something that you're focused on here like do you foresee this being like the first Michelin star restaurant within a distillery or is that not something that you really think about
0: I'd be lying if I said I wasn't I wasn't thinking about it but I'm not going to have my opening statement or anything is like we will get a Michelin star in the first year or anything like that obviously accolades are lovely um it's a great um recognition for myself and and all the team's hard work wherever you are but we're striving for excellence, and we're striving to be better than we were the day before. I'm not. I'm not going to just push for Michelin only, because I'm not just cooking for Michelin. I'm cooking for every guest that comes in. Um, if if the stars come, then then it's fantastic. And I I'd be lying if I said I wouldn't be happy about it. Um, but I'm not. It's not just the top of the list. It's it's not all I I come to work for.
2: Yeah. And this is pretty like special and quite unique because you know there's lots of distilleries in Scotland and tourism. You know, people come here to see distilleries, but this is not really like anything we've ever seen before. So was that, as well as living in the countryside, was that a bit of a draw to kind of create something that's is totally new to Scotland?
0: Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's. I mean, whiskey and Scotland go hand in hand, you know. But like you say, the, the food aspect of distilleries, the hospitality aspect of distilleries is usually just. Tours and a good dram. Um, the the offer and the, and the whole offering that we're giving. When I when I saw the job, I was, you know, leaving leaving a a secure job during that lockdown uh, was a massive leap of faith. Um, but I believe in it. I think it's there's there's a massive gap in the market and the team is is really strong, um, and we're all really hungry and we all love the place. Like straight away, um, so I think I think something special can happen here.
2: Uh, and what can um, visitors expect? So we've we've obviously had uh, quite a few courses here today, but you know there's there's parts of the whisky making process within what you can get on your menu. So what what kind of things can people look forward to?
0: Um, I mean, if you if you described a restaurant within a distillery for me and many other people, you you'd think it would be. Creamy creamy peppercorn,
2: whiskey, whiskey sauce, sauce
0: <laughs> um, and sort of shortbread tin stuff. Um, but I think the level and the, the sort of calibre of chefs in the kitchen, we can be a bit smarter about that. Um, I certainly have recalibrated my cooking style slightly um, after coming up and speaking to the guys who in production who make the whiskey. Um just with the con, like the conversion of complex carbs into sugars and and how they do that from with bar, only barley and water. So we we've taken that and we're making sugar setups out of just barley and water um, and reducing it and adding it to creams and cremos and diplomats and things like that um, with great results. Um, so there's been a lot of development on that side of things. Um, obviously, walk. 30 seconds over to the mill and get the barley and put it in our bread, which you had today. Um, but we're 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 doing it subtly and cleverly because I'm I'm fully aware and mindful that not everyone likes whiskey or or barley. Um, but yeah, little little hints and nuances in there.
2: And, well, your menu, obviously, is quite seasonal. What we've had, will that change seasonally. So if I was to come here in summer, would it be completely different if I came here in the middle of sort of December?
0: For sure. For sure. I mean, every chef has their sort of their go-tos, um, but I don't really want to rest on my l- laurels up here. Um, it's carte blanche. It's a, it's a brand new kitchen and it's a brand new team. Uh, so we can kind of do whatever we want. So I don't want to just put a menu out four times a year. I want to be changing it as much as possible. Um, I've got really good relationship with suppliers right now, um, local and past. um, And a lot of them have visited already and they're kind of in love with the place. So we've got a lot of backing and there's a lot of belief from a lot of people. So um, yeah, we're we're gonna go full tilt at it and, and keep changing and keep evolving.
2: Uh, and your pastry chef just won an award, uh, how important is that to kind of sort of push that to the fore in terms of like, you know, because the dessert we had was amazing and the chocolates and things.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's fantastic. Um, she, Kaylee, came uh, with me from number one um, with a number of other people. So that's that was great, great for the team, um, finding a, a decent pastry chef that knows your palate already um, it's really important for me that the meal has a flow and it's it's not a complete divide like two different kitchens as soon as you get from savory to sweet um, and Kaylee knows my palate now and um, we work closely together in the desserts it's it's fantastic having her on board and she's going from strength to strength and it's great that she she was that was recognized in in our recent award
2: uh, and do you like whiskey?
0: I do like whiskey. Sometimes whiskey doesn't like me, but I think uh yeah, it's I'm I'm acquiring more of a taste for it obviously. Um it's it's actually a lot more versatile than I thought it was. Um and that that just comes with um time, I guess. You know when you're a kid and you don't like the taste of a lot of things and then you just get used to it and then you start to appreciate it. Um so I I do I I do like it. I don't drink a lot of it. Um, but yeah, we're having fun, having fun with it in the kitchen.
2: So, with that in mind, if you had to pick three whiskies or three drinks to take on a desert island, what would they be?
0: Glen Turret 10, Glen Turret 12, <laughs> and Glen Turret 15. <laughs> Actually, I, I'd maybe, t- I'd maybe take four. I'd take a take a bottle of soda water with me as well.
2: What to make highballs? Yeah. <laughs> Um, So there's a part of the podcast called My Life and Food and it's five questions about food and if you just tell me the first thing that comes into your head Yes Um, Comfort food for me is Crisps My favourite childhood dessert is
0: Lemon meringue pie
2: Whenever I'm hungry I think of Crisps Food heaven for me is Crisps And food hell for me is
0: Not having crisps
2: What kind of crisps?
0: Any crisps really there's The best ones are the co-op's uh, irresistible sea salt and chardonnay vinegar. That's it,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah you're, uh, you and Lorna McNee said that as well. Yeah. That's obviously a good yeah. Michelin star flavour. Well, uh,
0: well, me and Lorna used to work at Fairley's together, so we used to drive past the co-op. She used to pick me up in the morning, we'd drive past the co-op and then pick some up and then smash them on the way home.
2: So you've influenced each other's crisps?
0: Yeah, I mean... They're good crisps.
2: Yeah, they are good crisps. They
0: are good crisps, but they take the skin of your mouth off if you if you eat too many of them. But I'm mainly all crisps. <laughs> so I'm just being honest. No, it's fine. Well. Anyone who knows me will, will tell you.
2: Um, so, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of like what this whole experience, what you're doing now?
0: I'm just really thankful for the opportunity, um, and hoping hoping we don't all get locked down again. Because uh, the kitchen team's ready to go.
2: And are you doing anything like private events and stuff? Would you be doing, you know, weddings or sort of private functions here? Or is it very much for the people coming to visit?
0: No, not, not right now anyway. I think down the line, obviously, we're a distillery. We sell whiskey as well as, as food. Um, so there will be, I'm sure there'll be collaborations. Um, which which will be exciting. We're obviously partnership with Lalique as well. So if they come over and we do something, or they're displaying a new range, then I'm sure we will be doing something like that. But um, yeah, we have we have a cafe obviously for after the tours, um, for people visiting they want something before they leave. Um, we'll be doing afternoon tea in this room. Um, the bar will be doing sort of whiskey whiskey paired food, a lunchtime snacks, and then the dinner will be five nights a week.
2: Okay, well, thanks very much.
0: No problem. Nice speech. Thanks you. for having me.
2: Thanks to Derek and Mark and thanks to you for listening. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely hungry now. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Scrant is a Lodwell production that's co-produced and hosted by me, Roslyn Derskin, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton.